If you've been following me for a while, then you know I am totally against conforming to the wishes of society. Literally, my next book, Rebel, is all about breaking free from conformity in your own life. Because conformity, in my opinion, is the fastest way to hating your life, to living an unfulfilled life. And so it's my goal to bring on guests who can show you the benefits of being a rebel, of being on the road less traveled. And today's guest embodies that almost better than anybody. Cody Sanchez is a serial entrepreneur who has been making waves with her mega hot newsletter, Contrarian Thinking, which has over two and a half million subscribers. She's the co-founder of Unconventional Acquisitions, focused on small business acquisitions in the micro private equity space. She's held leadership positions at Goldman Sachs, State Street, and Vanguard. She started as a journalist, where she won the JFK Award and Howard Buffett Foundation. She was listed as a 25 most innovative leader in cannabis and a top female investor by Forbes. This episode is really, really fun. She unpacks different boring businesses, as she calls them, and shows how these often overlooked businesses are a great way to free yourself from the rat race. She's big into passive income. And we dive deep into content creation and how she uses her contrarian thinking to make content that stands out. And we talk about how we can stand out as solopreneurs in our businesses. I love the way she thinks. It'll get you more creative. It'll get you thinking differently than what you've been thinking. It'll stir things up. And I think when you stir things up, people pay attention. When people pay attention, you have a better chance to serve them and build a business. So sit back, relax. Start to get your contrarian mind going and enjoy this episode as I have a conversation with Cody Sanchez. Cody, it's good to have you on. I know we were trying to figure out some technical stuff on the front end, which is never fun. I know you do a ton of these, and as do I, but we got it working. We're here, and I'm honored to spend some time with you and just have you unpack some of your wisdom with my audience. So thanks for taking time out of your day. Pleasure. I'm stoked to be here. So your newsletter, Contrarian Thinking, which is such a, a great, great sort of brand and angle, which I love, um, it talks a lot about, you know, you talk a lot about your success. It's come from thinking differently than other people, which I absolutely love. But I didn't know, I recently discovered at least sort of you sharing that you're considered neurodivergent. And I was like, what is that? So I'm like looking into that um, and that maybe that's something that contributes to how you think differently. Can you just walk us through your story a little bit and how has that helped you become a contrarian thinker and how would you even define that? Yeah, Um well, when I think about neuro, neuro, neurodivergence, basically what it means in today's society is people who have things like ADD, ADHD, um, you know, you could say if you were bipolar, um, anything that we think of as like non-normal cognitive function. And I was trying to normalize that because, you know, from my perspective, I have a little bit of dyslexia. Um, I'm terrible with with numbers, actually, and, and recalling them. I have really bad uh, number, numerical recall. And I, and what I found in the research is that most of the successful people in the world today, Elon Musk, um, 
Richard Branson have the same thing. They are neurodivergent as well. They have some way in which their brain ticks slightly different than the sort of normal way that neural pathways would run in your brain. And it gave me a lot of confidence because I think in this world today, we increasingly tell people there's something wrong with you, thus you're a victim, thus you need help, as opposed to there's something different than you. And because of that, that very same thing could actually lead to massive success for you. So where can you turn sort of your your victimhood into your victorhood is a big personal mission of mine. And I think that's probably why we talk a lot about this belief that each of us should have skin in the game or ownership in some way, shape or form, which I know is really important to your your audience too. I talk about it in the form of owning businesses, owning multiple businesses, doing it in your local community, because I think that not only can free you financially and it can free you from corporate chains, but it also can completely change the world around you. And, um, and I think a lot of humans today are told all the things that are wrong with them, why they can't actually be the one in charge, why they can't actually uh, be the masters of their own fate. And our mission at Contrarian Thinking is to get people to accept that idea of things that we believe um, are not okay in a crowd. And it's all right to be the purple zebra. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. I mean, I think of a, the, 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 the proverb in, in the Bible, right? As a man thinks, so he is like your thinking does drive a lot. And so many of us are th- thinking narratives about ourselves, stories about ourselves. Maybe someone told us there's a lot of damage that can be done. You know, you go to counseling, you realize, wow, my dad said that to me and I've carried that or whatever it would be. Or maybe it's not a person. It's sort of the, the way the world conforms. Uh, I'm writing about this in a new book right now, but just like conformity is such a, a burden on us. We don't even realize how much we're conforming because we see what other people want. And so we want that. We see how they think. So we think that way, or we think that's what we're supposed to do. Um, and so as a con- I think of it like as a content creator, which came to mind, if you're blogging, you're podcasting, you're doing YouTube, if you just do what everyone else is doing and think the same way, you will look and sound the same and you will disappear. And to your point, owning your differences embracing them zigging while other people zag is scary because then you can't hide but that's the whole point is that you won't hide you'll actually be noticed which is a good thing but it's almost an exposing thing do you do you think there's something in our like our psyche that's afraid of being contrarian because maybe it's you know historically you wanted to be safe in the community and just get along keep your head down don't be on the outside is there something there that's keeping people back who maybe already have different thoughts but they would never even embrace them because they their high value of safety and certainty darwinism or survival of the fittest often meant conformity uh it meant staying in herds it meant uh not grabbing people's attention, whether you're a predator or uh, whether you were a potential prey. And so, you know, human brains have developed for millennia. And we now in modern society are are trying to reframe in a way where it's okay to be to be different. And so sure, you still have that lizard brain inside of your head that's telling you that it's not okay to think differently. There's a saying in in investing about how to know if you will become truly, truly wealthy. Like how could you be one of the best investors in the world? And the way that you become one of the best investors in the world is two things, is you have to be contrarian. You can't make uh, unreal amounts of money by just investing in the S&P 500. You'd have to have unreal amounts of money in order to do that. So you have to do something differently from everybody else. 
and you got to be right. And um, those two things really is what it boils down to in, in making money. And I think you're right in content. We are in we are at a war for eyeballs in the U.S. And, you know, Naval Ravikant sort of talked about these four lover uh, layers of leverage. And uh, and he's right. You know, in the beginning, we had labor. Right. That was all the way back to slavery with the, the pharaohs and to modern day employment. That was the first way that one human could have an outsized effect uh, by having other people work for them. And then the second was capital, you know, the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. When did, when did those titans of industry come into being? They came into being when the banking system was enacted and they had for the first time ever access at large to multiple people's capital, which is like, uh, you know, 100,000 humans because you have dollar bills. And then we had code, right? Which is Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates all became the next billionaires because code was created. They had early access to it, unfair access to computers, and then they compounded that over time. And now today we have audience. Uh, this is, I think, the fourth level that we're in. And with audience as an intention uh, leverage point, it's the only one that's completely democratized, right? All of these other levers, you had to get permission. They were permissioned. And this is now relatively permissionless. And so that is why, even though I ran funds that were hundreds of millions of dollars and raised billions of dollars, I started doing, you know, TikToks on the internet because I saw the power of audience layered on top of capital code and labor. And if you can layer all four, that's billionaire status. Wow. I love how you just explained that. I hadn't thought of it that way. I think I've intuitively seen over, I've been doing content for 14 years, intuitively seen like if you have the audience and the right audience, and there's a lot of nuance there. You don't have to have the biggest audience depending on the person's goals, right? If you just want to make a six figure salary and take care of your family and, and work 20 hours a week or less, be able to take your kids to school and exercise and sleep and enjoy your life. Your audience goal does not have to be that big. And to your point, the words, it is democratized. You can go find that audience for free, build that community and how I just saw the power of it. And that's what I'm preaching all the time, but I've never heard you have someone explain it in that way and really lump it into the category of those big players and all those sort of inflection points in human history. So that's a, that's an insight in and of itself especially for someone like you, and that's one reason why I wanted to have you on is you're in the investing space, you're in the business space and also the content space. And a lot of times those people don't seem to mix or they don't understand the other people. Like I, a lot of my students, like, why would I want to invest in other companies? I'm, I'm betting on myself, you know? And I'm like, Oh, I, I'm, I think I'm going to do a lot of great things, but I wouldn't bet completely on myself. I'm not that, you know, proud to think I'm going to stay in business forever. But then there's also the the investors who don't understand the content world and would never get on TikTok or create a podcast or a YouTube video. They're like, why would I do that? That's a giant waste of time. What made you realize you need to be doing both or you want to do both? I realized it in 2020, January of 2020. I, before that, was traveling a million miles a minute and doing road shows, raising investments for our growth equity stage fund at the time. And the world slowed down slightly. So really, it started from boredom. And I think that's one of the best things to have content come from is because you just want to do it. It's not necessarily that you're going to make money from it. It's not that you feel like you have to do it. It is that there is some kernel inside of you that can't shut up about said thing. You just like cannot stop, even if nobody pays you or even if maybe 
people would pay you to stop. And so that was me, is I was sitting there thinking to myself, man, if we could just get more people with power in their hands, aka more humans with financial freedom, they would climb up what I call the modern hierarchy. And the modern hierarchy is basically this in my mind. It's that first, we have to have financial freedom. We have to be able to pay our rent. We have to be able to take care of our kids and family. And until we have that, we can't get to physical freedom, which basically means I get to work where I want, when I want, with whom I want. And I have access to move because of my finances. And once we have those two things, then we can get to philosophical freedom. Then we can actually think for ourselves as humans without fear of having those first two levels taken away from us. And I think what happened over the the pandemic in the last couple of years has been we increasingly are a nation of employees and really serfs. We used to be owners. We used to have you used to have to, you know, to be able to vote in this country you had to to own some land. And that like left out a bunch of people. But I think the idea is actually right, that more humans in the US should own. We should try to democratize, like we talked about before, ownership. And, um, and so I wouldn't shut up about this belief that I think financial freedom underpins everything. And until we can get more humans on that level, we can't actually get them to think for themselves and push back on what I see as like complete overreach uh, uh, by centralized organizations such as the government corporations take your pick. We want to have a bunch of disaggregated owners who are the masters of their own fate as opposed to um, waiting for handouts for people on high to tell them what they can and cannot do. And so I couldn't shut up about that in 2020. And that's when newsletters kind of started revitalizing with Substack. So I started a little Substack. And maybe like some of the people listening, I didn't realize that this was a business. I thought it was a passion project. I just liked to do it. And then after about six months, it was growing pretty rapidly. And I realized, oh, there's a business here. And I was an idiot about attention and content prior to that. And finance, we uh, largely couldn't have social accounts at the level that I had. If I posted, I got every single post that I had monitored by a by a software and I would get report outs if there were things that the, the company didn't like that I was posting. Um, they keep those posts uh, that you do in finance for seven years. So you have to have a tracking me- mechanism to keep them historically. And so there's a lot of downsides to creating content. and um, And yet I couldn't stop. And then I realized, wait a second, why am I going around and raising capital from people for my investment funds by shaking hands, doing steak dinners, kissing babies, when I could just create a lot of attention on the internet and have people actually come to me and want to invest? And so that was the original idea for the business. Oh, that's such a great flow. I love that. Um, so t- talk a little bit about your newsletter for people who aren't on it. Like w- one of the things, because this is why I find interesting for you is you, you say that you're really into boring businesses. And that's like a thing. And I want you to unpack that in a minute. But I, I think your newsletter is like the complete opposite of boring, right? Like, uh, these are just some of the subject lines on your newsletter. One, here's read this if you need to hide a body. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, what? That's a good one. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I have so, so many envisioned things in my brain. Alchemy 101, how to turn concrete into gold. I have to open that email. Uh, bought a website for $500, turned it into $3,600 in three days. Okay. These, this is great copy. Like this is great subject line copy. I teach this. I love this. I enjoy other people's. That is not boring. So talk to me like you're not a boring person and yet you love boring businesses. Explain. 
Yeah, I was just doing newsletter titles today, and I'm a nerd about about it too. I find the game of business to be fascinating. And so things like subject lines are such a fascinating game that actually really matters. They're, they're your handshake to the world, right? They're that first impression that tells people if they should pay attention to you or not. And uh, so one of the ones that isn't on there, but it's my favorite, is there were like three subject lines for a newsletter on um, a tree trimmel, a tree trimming and landscaping business. So a very boring business, uh, kind of a cool story from this guy. And the subject lines we had were like, he made $15,000 off of a $100 lawnmower, you know, or number two might have been um, money does grow on trees, dot, dot, dot. But number three was I love guys with wood, dot, dot, dot. And like the the outperformance on that subject line was incredible. And of course, it wasn't clickbait because it delivered. It was like, here's why I like these landscaping-based businesses. He actually has this business where they, um, it's fascinating, when power lines, uh, you know, fall down on trees or when trees get, you know, uh, felled by storms, uh, the government actually pays a contract to come around and clean that stuff up. And then also yeah. HOAs have contracts, whatever. So you can get paid to pick up wood, which he does. Uh, but then that wood has a value. And so then he resales the wood, not just to um, firewood places or stuff like that, but he resells them to firewood places for certain types of wood. And then he has a partner that turns some of the really good hardwood, like cedar, for instance, that's here in, in Texas, into... Um, countertops, shelves, very expensive goods. And so um, I thought it was a fascinating business, but it does matter the way that you th- say things. You know, we have a saying at Contrarian Thinking that that words mean things. <laughs> and it's a little yeah. bit of a, like an obvious statement that everyone forgets. So the, the thing I was talking with the team about yesterday is, I'm, you know, as creators, you have sponsorship deals, right? And these sponsorship deals, we do the t- them too. And we have an agency that provides those deals for us and they vet them. And then I kind of figure out if I want to do them or not. And I was finding we were having a lot of confusion on the teams and with what exactly we had to deliver. And I realized really quickly that there was a lot of have tos. And to me, a have to means this. We are contractually obligated as outlined using specific verbiage that we have to make the video 60 seconds, that we have to say their name in this way. Have to equals contractual obligation. Anything that is not a contractual obligation is not a have to. It is a request by a brand, or it could be a, you guys should do this meaning you know, our agency could say, we think you should do this because it would be the right thing to do, or by intent of the contract, we think that you should do this, but it's not the letter of the contract. And so I think it's really important when you're a creator realizing that words mean things. And if you can control the words and use them really specifically, um, I think you can control how people think. Hey friend, we'll get back to the episode in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a gift for hanging out with me today. I want to give you my 30-day online income jumpstart guide. This is a four-week checklist, bullet points, to go from zero audience, zero customers, maybe even zero idea of what your business should be, to putting money in your pocket 30 days. 
days from now. It won't be a million dollars in 30 days, but it will be money in your pocket. You will have figured out your idea. You will have tested your idea. You will have launched your idea and taken massive action towards building a business and a life that you love. If you already know your business idea, but you've been sitting around and you haven't taken action on it, then you need this guy because it'll walk you through a four-week plan to go from where you are to putting money in your pocket in 30 days. And if you've never figured out what your business idea is and you have no followers online and no audience, it's okay. This will help you start at zero. I promise you. It's a PDF. It's fast. It's easy to read. It's not an ebook. You don't have to spend a lot of time on this. It's more about taking action and doing the right things in the right order. And it's free as my gift to you. So just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart to get your 30-day online income jumpstart guide. It's grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. Now back to the episode. Yeah, there's so much good there. Um, I, I just think with going back to the subject lines and what you said, every word does matter and, and words mean things. I find my students get in front of a Google Doc or their email newsletter thing and they're trying to type it up or it's a sales page or maybe the email is good and they're flowing and then they're like, they feel the pressure. I got to write this subject line and they just like the brain shuts off and they just regurgitate whatever they've seen or whatever they think they're not really thinking. And it's a lot of fear and stuff. So it, it, it's almost like you're talking about being in a state of play and, and having fun with it. Like you called it a game, which probably lowers whatever that chemical is in your, is your brain that just is like fight or flight. And just like, this has to be good. It, it just, you just have to have fun with it and think what would get you to open the email. And I find the best copywriters are playful. I, I interviewed Neville Medora. He used to write all the copy for AppSumo. And I, I remember he's, those, a I would, he's amazing. I would buy all the stuff from AppSumo because like, who's writing these emails? And, uh, and even just talking to him the other day, it's like, you could just tell like he's, he's just having fun. And he's like, why, if it's not fun, why would I do it? And I think that is a secret sauce to actually being in your right mind and thinking like a human and you're human to human through the screen. And so anyway, just sort of a big affirmation there. Uh, is your personality one, since I don't know you that well, is your personality one that was sort of playful and goofy sort of in sort of childhood, you know, school circles, is that who you are? And is it coming out in the content, but maybe you can't do it in the, the investment world? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I try to not take life too seriously. None of us get out alive. And so I think that it is just, you know, you can have two things be true um, at the same time. You can have something happen to you. Um, let's say nobody's opening your emails, right? And so we have 300,000 people on our, our one email newsletter and we want to, we have a 52% open rate on average. I want a high open rate for my newsletter. And let's say that nobody's opening it and I'm like feeling sad about that. I find that there are two types of people. There's the type of person that says, Ah, oh, this is so annoying. What's going on? Is it the API? I bet they're not tracking it right. Excuses, excuses, excuses. A lot of negativity around it's why, why it's not happening. And there's another person that's like, huh, this is fascinating. What's going on here? Like, uh, huh, let's like have a little exploration. Ooh, let's go look at seven or 10 other newsletters of other creators stuff. And like, what's working for them? Oh, I opened this one. I didn't open that one. And so life to me is just a lot more interesting if you don't operate from this closed, scared, fear-based perspective and you operate instead from like, huh, lots of stuff happening in the world. Where could I just take data points and start to collect them? And then the other thing I find with most people, and it's helped me in, in a creator business is collect a lot of data points, but don't connect them until you have them all. Typically people go, oh my gosh, 
nobody's opening my newsletter, I'm going to lose relevancy, or writers are awful, everybody's getting fired. And so there are data points, but they just start collecting them in the worst way possible. And I don't think that's very, very helpful. But we do, I was just talking to my head of, of content today about subtitle, or I'm sorry, subject lines. And what I was telling him is, I think a subject line has to do one or two things, three things. I think it either needs to um, make you laugh out loud. I have something on my desk. If you could see it over there, it's like, don't ship it unless it makes you pee a little bit because I want to like, <laughs> I want to, I want to have that feeling. Like I want to like yeah. have that little chuckle when it goes out. Um, so it should make you pee a little bit or um, you should be like, what the fuck's like, what? There should be confusion. There would be, there should be like some cognitive dissonance. And, and it could be like, what the fuck is that? That's fascinating. Or it could just be like, oh my God, I don't totally understand what's happening there. I want to dig in. Uh, and then, and then the third is it should seem so valuable in so few words that there is no way you don't want to answer it. So it's like, make you laugh. It should make you slightly confused in a positive way, or it should provide seemingly massive value. And I typically push back on my subject line writers. Well, there are writers and then they'll send us subject lines. Like they have to come up with like eight or 10 copies. And I don't know what you've seen, but I think chat GTP is making them all worse because now all the subject lines look kind of the same because chat GPT is only as good as the questions that you ask it. And most people are awful at asking questions. Like, have you met somebody at a cocktail party that asks you interesting questions ever? No, they're awful. And so I tell them, please, for the love of all the totally, don't use ChatGPT because it's going to give you 25 bad examples. And then what have you done? You have reframed your brain to bad examples, and that's really hard yeah. to get out of. I would rather you go read uh, three AppSumo newsletters. I would rather you go th- read three contrarian thinking newsletters and then go write your subject line. Go watch a funny comedy from Andrew Schultz, then go read uh, write your subject lines because uh, there's a really big recency bias we all have and you have to make sure the recent event is a positive one. Wow, so much there. We got to AI, go figure. I mean, okay, let's just pull this out for people listening because there's there's a lot that's really valuable if you just paid attention. One, you just described the, the two different reactions to let's say open rates being low and you just described a lot of what I see people in my own community complaining about. And, and you know who you are, if I'm calling you out of like, it's the API, it's the, you know, Kajabi's not tracking it, ConvertKit's not doing their thing. Um, those reactions were very real of like fear is driving the one blame shifting, going to worst case scenario. The, the, in my mind, the difference between the, the two was the word curiosity. And you were like, the other way is like, oh, I'm curious what's going on here and what can I learn from this? And it's if you feel safe, like a child in a home that's a safe, stable home, that child will be more curious because they feel like they're not going to be hurt. Everything's fine. And so they, they're going to be curious with toys, exploring, playing outside. A child that's fearing for their safety just like can't even get to curiosity because it's like really just protection mode and walls are up. And I wonder how much is there when we react to a bad month, revenues down for a month, like, oh my gosh, I'm becoming irrelevant. It's all falling apart. Let's blame the recession or the one that's coming or the one that we're in, or I'm not really sure. As opposed to like, A, to the other point, it may just be data that really means nothing. It's one off month or two off months that happens, or there's some other reason you should get curious about. So I loved that. So curiosity will lead to better results. And then 
Oh my gosh, Cody, going to the chat GPT for subject lines is a perfect example of really going back to what makes you so special with contrary thinking is that is only going to make everyone sound more the same than they already do. It's going to do that on like, like, like light speed because now the, the robots can basically pull all the crap that's already out there that everyone's already spewing out and give it to you faster. And you think it's better because it's just curated crap from the AI and it's everyone else's subject lines are bad. You, and you even more now than ever, you need to pivot and be different because then everyone else is going to sound the same even more than ever and you will sound different. And so I love how that is all super relevant to what you teach and how to think differently. And I think it's very poignant for the age we're in right now. Yeah, you know, I even think about it with our businesses, too. I was giving a little talk to Russell Brunson's group the other day, and I was saying, you know, we own a bunch of boring businesses. That's what I try to teach people how to do is how do you buy different businesses to add to whatever your main business is, right? So if you have a newsletter, how do you buy another newsletter? If you have a, a Instagram account, how do you buy the video production company that you use, right? I'm really big on sort of growth through acquisition. But one thing that I found in these boring businesses is the the barrier to entry is so low. We have this one business, which is a pool cleaning business. I got to go riff on this with Neville. We've been talking about filming some stuff together, but we have a pool cleaning business. And typically, if you have a pool cleaning business or you have a service being provided like that, the pool cleaner will come in, he'll do his thing, he'll clean the pool, and then he'll leave like a little card or a little flyer, right, on your on your patio somewhere and let you know, we were here, here's the date, here's your next cleaning date. Okay, fine. Then you know you got the service done because it's a reoccurring service. And usually, I have a reaction when I see the cards. I'm like, God, this is so annoying. Now I have all these cards out here. They're like messy. I got to go grab them. It bothers me. I don't know. There's no positive engagement there because I can already tell the pool's clean because I can see the pool's clean. And so I was thinking about that. I'm like, huh, in business, the most important thing you can do for customer retention in a very crowded and noisy world is to have magical moments consistently. And magical moments are so rare in business because it sucks being a business owner. You're like, I'm just trying to make payroll. I need another client. Magic moments. I don't have time for this. But I told our cleaning company, I was like, let's do this. We're going to take an hour long meeting and we're going to think about how to make these cards awesome. And I'm going to bring some ideas. So I brought some ideas. I was like, on this card, instead of something sort of normal, like a kid in the pool saying whatever we were clean on this date, I'm like, make it a super hot dude in like a crazy little pool boy outfit and be like, you know, I've, you know, I've wiped all your corners or something. And then, you know, and just have like some engagement there or have it, you know, family friendly, like something like, uh, like a screaming child, like messy pool toys all around or something. And then have it say like, before, uh, we were here after we were here, like, you're welcome. Right. So what like little tiny things that then when I pick up the card and maybe we have a new one every month, cause that costs us basically nothing. When I pick it up, I'm like, Oh, this is kind of funny. And then when somebody asks me if I have a pool company that I recommend, even though they're going to have the same issues as every other company, sometimes their low labeler staff is not going to show up. They're going to be probably the same price as everybody else. Sometimes they're going to fuck up my, um, invoicing hard to control those. But because I give them these little magic moments, they're going to say, actually, these guys are great. They have this card and you're not going to be able to help but tell people about it. And so that's what I think more of us need to remember is where in our business are we touching a customer in an annoying way when instead could feel like a massage? Mm, that's a great insight right there. Uh, I, I had a mastermind retreat that I was leading out in Santa Barbara. And one of my buddies who was, who was in my mastermind at the time, uh, James, 
he he surprised all of us by just out of out of his own kindness of his heart hiring his friend Jeff, who he calls Magic Jeff, to do magic for us one night. So we're just able to have like enjoy drinks and have magic. And shrimp was appearing out of nowhere. It was hilarious. And um, I was talking to this guy Jeff, and he was saying, "Hey, I'm a magician, but I've gotten into public speaking, and it happened because I got invited to some Disney thing, and they they wanted." someone thought it was a goofy idea to have a magician tell this corporate thing how to like have more magical moments in their sales calls or their meetings or whatever. And he thought it was stupid at first and it's become a book. It's become his main keynote. And he's just going around to corporations that are boring. And because he's a magician, he'll do a little magic, but then he'll talk about the power of what you're just describing, which is it does take a little bit of effort. Um, but goodness gracious, if it's your business, it's your baby, like just take a moment to think about how could we make somebody laugh or give them a fun little moment. It's not really a differentiator in terms of like you said, better service or better price, or we almost think too hard about how to stand out. And what you described is like actually a lot easier, but it does take a moment to think what would be fun in terms of an engagement and just make their experience with you one where they smile a little bit. And that's that's the impression that gets burned in your brain. I love that. Yeah, I agree. I think the barrier to entry to incredible businesses is really low. The barrier to entry to a successful business is actually pretty high. Just, you know, it is hard to get your business up and rolling and off the ground and have a good MVP and have people want you to actually sell them things uh, that you want to sell. All of that is actually hard. It's typically why I like to buy businesses instead of instead of start them because it's just difficult to come up with an idea that the world is for sure going to rally around. But once you have that idea, uh, the only way to build a true moat in this world today, for especially for us creators, is through our creativity. It's largely not going to be our differentiation of product or innovation. Yeah, that's fair. I got a little friend there in the background. That's awesome. Dude, he's, uh, it's always only during these times. I don't of know. Of course, of course. And if you had kids, they would only come in right when you're on a podcast. It's so real. Okay, so t- let me tell, talk to me about this. Let's talk about investing in other businesses. Pitch to, to me and my audience why, let's say we have our own solopreneur business. We're, we're a content provider. We're selling courses or coaching and it's working. And now we've, we've reached what you talk about is like financial independence. I mean, we can pay the bills and then some, and now we have extra capital. We've got some some profit left in our business. And let's say we don't need to hire anybody right now or invest it back into the business. Make the case for what do we take that money and go and do? Is it is it do we find a business that doesn't require us? And that's what you're helping people do is just buy a business straight up. Is it do you do you try to get into a fund? Is it private equity where you don't have to own the business, but you're putting your money into someone else's fund? And how do you trust them? What's the first step for someone who's like, I've never done that before. And that sounds helpful, crazy? I'm not really sure. Where do I go? Well, I think you really want to go with the goals. So I don't believe in the words passive income. Uh, I really get on my team to make sure that they don't use those two words. And the only time you can use those two words, in my opinion, is when you invest in funds. So that is truly like it's a little active because you have to figure out which ones in the beginning. And then you have to make sure maybe your taxes are done once a year. But besides that, you're really not working for that capital. You've taken your money and you've given it to somebody else. And besides that, almost any other business you have is going to have some component of what I call instead of horizontal income, aka your time, 
uh, is tracked to every dollar to instead vertical in income. Like some of your time is in it, but your time is not always a direct correlation to the dollars that you make. And so I like to start with a couple different things. If you have a lot of excess capital, I think, you know, I'll just say for me, for myself, I invest in a lot of funds um, because I want to have diversified revenue streams that are consistent and I like to protect the house. There are some people that... Um, believe that you should really just do one thing. The power of the one thing, focus on the one thing continuously, but even they have investments uh, across their portfolio. So I like, that's just me. I like to have a series of funds. Um, but when I talk about buying businesses, that's a different, that's a different beast. I believe truly that every single human, the most important skill set that you could get is to become what I call a deal maker. And that's with the ability to understand how to negotiate what price and terms are, um, how to get leverage, how to get access to capital, um, and what is a good deal and a bad deal. And a deal could simply be you're negotiating with your agent. It could be you're negotiating with your podcast producer. Um, but what I found is most people do not know how to make deals. And so they spend their life making sales. And the problem with making sales all the time is usually you can only make one sale at a time. And deals, you could make, you could have one deal that brings you in 4 million sales. And so I think about it like um, my first business that I bought, I was in private equity for a long time, was a laundromat that uh, that did $67,000 a year for about in profit. And I bought it for about 100K. And lots of people on the internet are like, either they'll say, one, what idiot sold you that uh, for only 100K when it's making 67K a year? And the other group will say, there's no way that that's actually $67,000 in profit. And, you know, the numbers are too small. And so actually you're getting like 10K a month in, in revenue. And what I found is on the internet, it's really easy for people to tell you why something's not going to work. And it's actually quite hard to get people comfortable enough in a space where they realize something can work for them. And so you just, you try to go to the people that, that, you know, are action takers as opposed to no makers. And, um, and so when you, let's say you wanted to go buy a business, I think most creators should buy a business that is what I call satellite or ancillary to their main business. Mm. So let's say, um, I mean, a perfect example is, um, you know, Logan Paul didn't start prime, right? Logan Paul did a deal with a bunch of people that had already executed on this to buy in to a business that is now worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if not close to a billion dollars. Um, most big creators don't just start the company. They do a deal to either acquire the company or buy the company. It's why Night Media, for instance, Mr. Beast's company started Private Equity Fund because they're like, we've got all these creators. We're going to go buy um, a flower product for our gardening creator. We're going to go buy a small jewelry company for our fashion creator. And the reason I like that is because you could do it the other way, which is like Divi. D-I-V-I is a, a, a brand that was created by um, Danny Austin. It's cool. She was like struggling with losing some hair after kids, which is a problem for females. And so she created a hair loss serum and she started the whole company. Well, the thing is, as far as I can tell, that company does about $5 million in revenue, but they had to go through years of R&D and then they had to prep the market. And what if instead of doing that, you just went to a company that already had the, the product, but it didn't have the distribution and you as the distribution do a deal to own all of it. So 
These are called your unfair advantages as uh, any any human has some unfair advantage. If you're an accountant, maybe you buy an accounting firm. If you're a graphic designer, maybe you buy a graphic designer designing firm. If you have distribution, you buy something that you think your audience would want, you plug it into your distribution machine and you sell. That's like uh, last example I'll give is we bought a company called BizScout. And BizScout helps people find small businesses to buy. So it searches the internet and pairs a bunch of data from both PPP loans and Yelp and Google and a bunch of other third-party sources and helps you find laundromats located in Austin, Texas and who the owners are. And we bought that business because I'm not a, I'm not a coder. I didn't know how to build that. So I bought it. And now we've 10x'd the revenue of that business because we just plug it into my ecosystem. And that is something I think every human should learn how to do. That's awesome. Yeah, I, lo- I love, because you said earlier, even just buying, thinking about buying businesses locally in your community. Yep. So, And I, I, I know people do that, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about that, sort of think about local, and then really you're then thinking about in those concentric circles around the type of business you're in. Uh, that this is just maybe a simple oversight. It's easy to think like I got to go out and buy this random thing or invest in this random fund that's so outside of what I know or even where I live. But it's such a simple concept to think about investing in your actual area and then maybe even in your area of expertise um, because you probably it probably will help you with the deal making as well. You better understand the terms, better understand pricing because you're you're kind of in that world or close to that world. So I just want don't want people to miss that. Um, if someone's really though at the beginning and they're like, dude, this is so over my head though. Like how I only have $50,000 at the end of the year, um, like left over in my bank account, which would be a huge win. Like my bills are paid I'm living a great life. I got 50 K. Uh, what do I do with that? Are, are there some smaller ways people can start the process to get a, like a, a win and a bit of comfort in like, Hey, I'm an investor now. Cause I know that will lead to more investing. Where would you consider they start? Well, I think you got to invest in yourself first. So you've got to learn how to do deals. Now, I'm biased. We have a a group called Unconventional Acquisitions. We have a course and a mastermind where you can learn this. I'm also coming out with a book. That'll be a cheaper version. That'll be 2024. But whatever the way that you decide to use your capital, I would spend, I would spend your first, if you had 50K, I'd spend your first five or 10K learning how to do deals because that is the thing that will compound over time in a way nothing else will. If you buy a laundromat, a laundromat day one uh, is never going to become, never going to go from worth $100,000 to worth a million dollars. Like that's just, it just, that's, it's too hard to do. And so, um, some of these businesses are just not going to have infinite upside, but your learning has infinite upside and infinite compounding. So uh, I wish that I had started learning deal making earlier. I was on Wall Street and working at Goldman and doing the investment thing for, I've been doing it for 15 years. And I didn't buy my first business until I was like six or seven years into it, which would be weird if you were a realtor. Like you probably are buying some tiny houses, you know, apartments or something within six or seven years of you being in business. But because it's so not normalized to buy businesses, I didn't even think I could do it by myself. I thought, you know, I'm working on these hundred million dollar deals and I don't realize, oh, I could buy a website for $8,000 off Deuce, which we did. And then I could turn around and sell it for 3X inside of a week. That's wild. Um, but nobody taught me that. So I, I think I'd say, go learn, spend your first 90 days 
Don't take action. Don't buy anything. Spend your first 90 days going as deep as possible into how do I buy a business? What does like LOI mean? PPM, um, due diligence, sourcing, underwriting. What do these words mean? In finance, we like to complicate things so that we get paid our two and 20, which is what the fees that we get paid for managing other people's money. So you have to kind of, you got to get to like level one of finance language. And then that opens up for you the world of making money. But I don't think you'll ever be truly, truly wealthy unless you can speak finance. Oh, I love that. So well said. Thank you for for pointing people in that direction. And I know you did mention you've got other other resources people can dive into if they want to learn this stuff. I know we're, we're pressed for time. So I have so many more questions. I would just love to like just have coffee and ask you a billion things, but this has already totally. been so, so helpful. Um, we have a segment of the show uh, we do called the golden rule segment. Very simple. Um, so you can go off to off topic, philosophical, however you want. But if you had kids, let's say you raise kids and you're teaching them all this stuff, all the great stuff, you know, and then everything you care about in life and they just forget everything, forget everything but one piece of advice or wisdom that actually will stick with them for the rest of their lives, almost like a golden rule, the one thing they remembered from Cody, what would you want that to be for them? How you do anything is how you do everything. I would want them to really have a belief that the small things you do every single day matter and compound way more than anything else. So before you stress about, should I go be an astronaut or should I go be a rocket engineer? Um, I'd rather you just eat the right stuff today. Maybe get a little vitamin D, get outside, start a to-do list and finish it um, because those things compound over time. And I think too often we get lost in all the tactics and we have a saying at my company, which is um, that we do the dirty work. And, and this came to me because I went uh, recently and I was at Andy Frisella's headquarters at First Form, which is a very, very large supplements company. They do millions and millions and millions of dollars in revenue. And I went into the bathroom and I uh, washed my hands like a normal person. And then I watched one of his employees come out and they washed their hands and then they took the paper towel and they cleaned the sink and they cleaned the counter. I was like, oh, that's a nice person. And then another person came in and they washed their hands and they grabbed the paper towel and they cleaned the sink and they cleaned the counter. So I was like, what, what, what are we doing over there? Like what's happening here? And, uh, and she said to me, um, the small things compound into the big things, don't they? And I was like, wow. and then she just like walks out. And I was like, I just got schooled by like a yeah. low level marketing. Like she was wow. like 12, you know? Yeah. And that's what I want my kids to remember. Because if you can take that personal responsibility into every aspect of your day, the world would be your oyster. So good. Love that. How you do anything is how you do everything. Beautiful. Oh man, this is so good, Cody. Um, I, where can people find your newsletter and sign up? Because they need to be on it if they aren't already. And where else can they connect with you? What would be the most helpful thing for them? Contrarianthinking.co is the newsletter. I think it's one of the best newsletters out there. It's once a week, and it's going to give you sort of a mental framework um, to make your life easier, and then it will give you a way to cash flow unconventionally that nobody else talks about. Um, and then we have a YouTube channel now. Uh, we're, we're trialing this new thing, so if any of my listeners uh, are on here, they'll know this, but um, we're calling it uh, Seal the Deal. So we talk about making deals all the time. We're always working hard for people with giving away all this free content every single week on all platforms. And the only thing we ask uh, is that 
uh, we do a deal between the two of us that so we seal the deal and that's that you guys subscribe. And so, um, we have about, I don't know, 600,000 people on YouTube right now. Uh, and we're growing like crazy cause I guess a bunch of people want to seal the deal. So they should do that. I love it. I love it. Take, make people take ownership and actually subscribe. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well guys sign up for the newsletter, contrarianthinking.co and the YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, Cody, excited for your book. Please let us know when it comes out and we maybe we'll have to have you back on, but I'm excited for Sounds that good. and excited for all you're part of. Thanks for sharing some of your, uh, your wisdom with my people today. Same. This was fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Cody. I know I did. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, Contrarian Thinking. Just go to contrarianthinking.co. You can sign up there. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. And just get your brain churning. Get your mind churning. Be different. When people go one way, go a different way. Figure out what you want, what you care about, and go chase after. It doesn't matter what I'm doing, what someone else is doing. Be contrarian. Be a critical thinker. Be a rebel. All right? That's what this is all about. Don't conform. That's not the way life is meant to work. Have an amazing rest of your week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And I can't wait to see you on another episode real soon.